Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. On previous episodes of our mini-series on artificial intelligence, or AI, we've taken a quick look at what AI is, how it's all around us today, and how even the level of so-called narrow or weak AI that we have today is likely to become even more ubiquitous in our everyday lives. We've also looked at the possibility of a strong version of AI developing in the not-too-far-off future, though there's still a difference of opinion about whether that will actually happen, and if so, when. Strong AI, usually referred to as Artificial General Intelligence, or AGI, would be capable of operating across the full range of situations which are now the province of human intelligence alone. And we've also noted that should AGI come to be, there's a very high likelihood that artificial superintelligence, or ASI, would not be far behind. ASI would be machine intelligence that's hundreds or thousands of times more powerful than the most highly developed human intelligence. Once we invent artificial general intelligence machines, or AGI, they'll have the ability to program and improve themselves much better and very much faster than we could. AGI could develop quite quickly into artificial superintelligent machines that will be able to keep on making themselves even more intelligent without any input from humans. In previous programs in this series on AI, we also looked at the question of whether such developments will happen from the perspective of those who think, while the type of AI that we see all around us today in our search engines and phones and household assistants and so on, which is narrow or weak AI, will develop further and will be a larger part of our everyday lives from now on. But artificial general intelligence will never come about. Then we took a quick look from the perspective of those who think that AGI and perhaps ASI will come about, certainly within the lifetimes of those in high school today and quite possibly in the lifetimes of those already collecting Social Security. If that does happen, we wondered what the relationship between these intelligent machines and human beings might become. We took a quick look at the possibility that humans might, to a greater or lesser extent, physically merge with machines in a movement called transhumanism. Today, we start to take a look at other possibilities of how generally intelligent machines might coexist with humans without the two physically merging. Opinion here also varies greatly. Some think that such intelligent machines will bring a world of great benefit to humans. Some think pretty much the opposite. Let's look at a possible world in which machines not only build cars and electronics and so forth as they do today, but in fact do pretty much all of the work that most of us do now to generate income so we can make a living. In this view, we humans live in a world in which most income labor is no longer necessary, in which our needs are provided for without the necessity of us pushing a broom or pushing paper or in fact pushing at all. We might be able to live in what John Danaher in his book Automation and Utopia refers to as a virtual utopia, a virtual reality world beyond anything currently envisioned by Meta 
or anyone else hawking VR today. Danaher asserts that human obsolescence is not far off, at least in terms of requiring human work, and that most of us will no longer be needed to provide for our daily needs. Whoa! It's one thing to say that Siri or Alexa or whatever will answer our questions and tell us the best way to get from here to there. It's another to say that, in a very real way, keeping the world and society moving and furnished with what it needs for daily life will not require our labor any longer. That is pretty scary for many of us, since our cultural stories ranging from our religious traditions to our theories of economic survival are based on the idea that the sweat of our brow largely defines who we are and our place among our fellows. Suppose for a moment that these utopian optimists are essentially correct and that most of our physical survival needs food, shelter, common infrastructure, access to information, to entertainment, to learning, and so on, were all taken care of. What might that mean for us as humans? On the most basic, practical level, it would mean that our societies would have to be organized in such a way that we'd be able to meet our needs without working for income. In order to give us choices about how we would like to live, some scheme of what today is called a guaranteed income would have to be in place. There are all sorts of visions about how a guaranteed income scheme might work, and we won't take them up today. Assuming that there would be some way to work that issue out satisfactorily, the next huge question is, what would we do with ourselves when we don't need to work to produce income? Perhaps looking at what people do today who no longer have to produce income might be informative. People who've retired with a reasonable pension, for example, are in a position to do what they choose, as are those who've inherited income sufficient to meet all their needs without labor. Perhaps such folks learn to produce art, or to research their ancestry, or travel, or play games, or invent games or are able to read all the books or see all the movies they've always meant to see, but were never able to. And of course, in this virtual utopian world, there would be all sorts of new experiences and activities and worlds that we probably can't even imagine today. In this type of utopian future, according to its hopeful champions, all humans would flourish as only the very elite have been able to do in the past sound good? Or not so much? It is a whole lot to wrap our heads around and probably sounds like science fiction to many of us. But then, a computer in our pocket that could tell us to change our route when we were on our way to Grandma's house because there's an accident three miles down the road holding up traffic and then to tell us just how to get around it. Or a car that would warn us if we got out of the lane and another car was approaching. Those things, and many, many more that we take for granted today, were science fiction not that long ago. One thing that is clear, though, is that to arrive at a world in which this or some other version of humans peacefully and beneficially interacting with artificial intelligent machines will require a lot of understanding and planning and making choices on a societal and a governmental level. And that 
is simply not happening today. If Jeffrey Hinton is correct that we could be entering a time of artificial general intelligence within 5 to 20 years, we'd better get on getting ready for it now. If we don't, these optimistic possible worlds may not emerge in any form. Instead, we may be faced with very scary possible worlds, and we'll take a look at some of those possibilities right here on future editions of Notes from the Electronic Cottage. <laughs>